Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today we are talking about John Wick Chapter 2. Once killed three men in a bar. A pencil. I know, I've heard the story. With a fucking pencil? Who the fuck can do that? I can assure you that the stories you hear about these men, if nothing else, has been watered down. This is a neo-noir action thriller. Directed by Chad Stahelski. The cast includes Neo, Morpheus, a whole bunch of dead dudes, Ruby Rose, Ricardo Scamacho, Blackbeard, and Microsoft spokesman, Common. I watched this movie on YouTube. Joey, how did you watch it? On Amazon, as usual. And of course, we're coming into this movie with the uh, mindset of a viewer who has also seen the first movie, right. which is just John Wick. Which I also watched yesterday. <laughs> I Yes, I really enjoyed watching that one again. Uh, I, I, watched, I watched three movies yesterday. I, my brain is like out of... Out of whack. <laughs> wow, what a cinephile. I, I watched John Wick on Thursday, and then I watched John Wick 2 yesterday. And John, it was my second time seeing John Wick. It was my first time seeing John Wick 2. Uh, so that's where we're coming from here. We definitely have full knowledge of what happens in the first movie. Joey, go ahead and give us that synopsis. In the much-anticipated sequel to John Wick, a movie about John Wick killing a bunch of people, John Wick Chapter 2 features John Wick killing more people. That is exactly right. That is exactly what happens in John Wick Chapter 2. That might be our most accurate synopsis yet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, let's just go ahead and get into it. Let's get started with our pros. Obviously, Keanu Reeves is amazing in this movie. Keanu Reeves is almost reason enough to show up to a movie, and uh, he really carries this movie on his back. He's an amazing John Wick, uh, just creates, continues to be this amazing character that we remember from the first movie. This movie features uh, prominently some fantastic action uh, all the way around. There's always something nice to look at. Uh, very stylistic cinematography and color correction that gives this movie uh, a unique style uh, and helps to you know, just continue what they establish in the first one. It shows us that the John Wick, this movie shows us that the John Wick universe is much deeper uh, than we saw before. We definitely got hints that there was more going on in the first movie, but this this actually, John Wick Chapter 2 actually dives into the depth of this film, or this universe, and it sets up the sequel nicely, I think. It, is, it gives us an opportunity for the sequel to uh, finish things off. What did you like about it, Joey? I all the things you said. Um, this incredible action. It's fun, exciting, and it's this really, really great world building that isn't too ambitious or complicated. It's a simple, stripped down, and memorable movie, just like the first one. Um, some of the things I didn't like. Um, well, honestly, it's not as good as the first one. Um, doesn't it doesn't quite live up to the hype. Um, and some of the subtlety that's going on in like the action and the choreogra choreography is kind of lost on me because that's stuff I just don't know that much about. What about you? Yeah, I the the subtlety, especially in like hand to hand combat, to me I think is is lost. Like it's easy to think shooting guns is awesome because it just looks awesome, but there was some extended hand to hand grappling that was going on in this one where I'm like, 
why not just shoot him or like why not pull out your knife here or you know why are you guys wrestling falling down the stairs like you guys look like a bunch of clowns right now um those are the only times where i even remotely felt awkward during the action most of the action was great but at times uh the hand-to-hand combat for me was a little bit cringe and also this as a consequence of diving deeper into the John Wick universe, things get more complex in this movie, which uh, sometimes it's hard to keep up or you feel like you shouldn't have to keep up because this is John Wick. Uh, <laughs> but I think that overall the cost is worth the benefit, but there is a cost. Um, okay, let's get into our overall section to really talk about this movie and I think John Wick is just so much fun uh John Wick 2 it, it's just a continuation of the badass story of John Wick uh something that everybody wants to continue seeing uh it starts off literally where the first one ended uh and can it, it, even matching some of the shots that we saw in the credit sequence from the first one and uh it's got great car action it's got great gun action it's great uh, hand-to-hand combat action, uh, which I think is great. I-, I actually have recently become friends with somebody who uh, really loves cars, and now when I see him again, I'm going to ask him if he loves John Wick because <laughs> there's definitely some gratuitous car action at the beginning of this film, uh, just like there was in the first one where he was kind of just doing donuts and stomping on the brakes in yeah, uh, yeah. in like the airfield or whatever, just kind of uh, doing it himself. But I know people who do just do that for fun in real life so i wonder if they like appreciate it you know there's like shout out from john wick he's like hey i see you guys who are out there burning your tires up for fun uh you know here it is in the movies uh and but like i i said my comments on the hand-to-hand action but the the gun action like the action the stunts and the sequences where john wick is killing like 18 dudes uh with like you know various guns and and you know tackling them and stuff it's just amazing it's like watching a, a really intricate dance and john wick is oh, yeah. the uh, is the the talented dancer who's making it all happen uh the choreography on like all the gun sequences is just absolutely uh amazing what i what i really liked about the first john wick is the simplicity it's just you killed my dog and stole my car and now you must pay uh well <laughs> and of course you got to tack on to that that the dog was like the new like his surrogate like wife stand in i guess yeah the last present from his dead wife right like it's so once the beginning of the movie ends like once once john wick has his motivation you don't have to worry about it anymore it's just enjoy the rampage uh it's his motivation was so clear in the first one at times it felt like a horror movie where you get to root for the killer. You get to root for whatever is chasing down all the other characters, uh, which is not a place you're commonly in. Most of the time, you're supposed to be scared of that person. In this case, you're you're happy that he's getting yeah, all these yeah. kills. Yeah, they all deserve it. Yes, they, they all kill the dog. They all deserve it, and he has the cute little dog. He has every reason to go after them. So uh, that that was really cool. This movie gets more complex, which is also good i don't i think if they had just redone john wick one where like let's say that they killed the, the second dog, second dog and, yeah. and like and he's like oh here People we go going to the movie yeah <laughs> i don't want to see more dogs die <laughs> yes uh which also yeah that's a pro, that's a pro for this movie is we didn't have to see the dog die because that was brutal my brother i was watching this movie my brother comes in and i was like he's like what are you watching like John Wick 2. He's like, oh, is that the one where John Wick dies and the dog has to go through the, the dog mafia and kill all the other dogs? 
<laughs> that would be a great movie. Uh, <laughs> the dog great with sequel. no name, dude. That would, yeah. <laughs> which the is also, no that was an interesting choice. Was there a reason behind that? Why the dog number two has no name? I don't know. I, I can't think of one. I don't know. He's more of, what's his name's dog even? He's more Sharon's dog than he is John Wick's dog. That's true. That's true. Because he, he spends the whole movie just chilling. <laughs> right. Well, they like, I mean, they had to solve that problem somehow because they couldn't just keep the dog with them, you know? It'd be awesome to have the dog fighting and stuff, but like you don't want to get the dog the dog to get hurt, right? So you got to get him out of the movie somehow. Well, because I thought that's how the dog was going to get its name was it was mm, going to yeah, do yeah, something, yeah. and he's like, "Now you're Sebastian," or something. <laughs> 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 but um, I'm going to call you Femur because of the way you ripped that guy's femur in half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he was like a pit bull or something, right? So he yeah, definitely could have done some though. damage. Maybe he'll come back in the third one. He definitely got to run with John at the end, uh, which was pretty cool. Well, I mean, I guess while we're talking about him, what a good boy this dog is. Like, as far oh, yeah. as dogs go, he is a freaking star. Like, he, you see the way he, like, gets up and, like, lays down on the bed in, like, in the correct spot. Like, you can tell this is a very well-trained dog. He's clearly at his job, you know, as a movie star. And, uh, you know, good for him. Yeah, good for him. Yeah. He's very cute. He's a good boy. And uh, I think it, it's worth appreciating this dog. Because, like, we've got legends in cinema, like Airbud, and some, some dogs that are less notable. Even dogs being replaced by, like, animation and stuff. Um, like, did you know that Scooby-Doo in the Scooby-Doo movies was computer animated? <laughs> did I know that? <laughs> So it's good to see what it's good to see a real dog playing a real dog in a movie. Yeah, you know, <laughs> we need to get back to the time when real dogs played each other. You know, we don't want to get to that that uh, dystopian future where all dogs are CGI. Just we're, like we're reaching into that future of all actors being CGI. That's right. And I want you to know? make sure that dogs, you know, dog Oscars just can't can't you know can't be held by a bunch of CGI dogs. That's they need right. To be held by by real. Flesh and blood dogs. That's right. <laughs> That's the stance of this podcast. They have to have yes. The dogs have to have job security in Hollywood. And, I, and right. the, where is the dog union? We will not compromise on this. This is number no. one for us. Uh, but <laughs> just. Bringing it back, reeling this conversation back in, um, I think that's like the big difference between the chapter one and chapter two is that chapter two has to be more ambitious because it can't be the same movie, um, or at least they didn't feel comfortable being the exact same movie. And while that makes it so that, in my opinion, chapter two is not as good as chapter one, I th- I applaud them for having the ambition to give us something new and to do what they're obviously doing at the end, which is setting up chapter three, which I'm right. hoping will be good. I haven't seen chapter three yet. I saw it. It was great. You have <laughs> seen it, and I would appreciate you uh, protecting me from spoilers, through, at least through this conversation. <laughs> okay, fine. Um, yeah, so I, I actually saw an interview with the guys who directed this movie um, back when back when they did uh, the first one, right after the first one came out and it was a big hit. Um, they went on the Screen Junkie show and they interviewed them. Um, and they said that for the second one, they had a, they had a couple options, right? They could have gone, they could have gone bigger, right? They could have made the whole thing just like make it diehard, right? Where every, every time a new diehard movie comes out, the stakes are somehow bigger. Um, and that's, you know, not really what made the first diehard great, but it certainly makes the movie, you know, up the stakes every time they, they decided that they wanted to go deeper. They wanted to make the um, lore bigger and they wanted to expand the world that they had already started building because 
I th it really seems like in the first one, their intention was to make something, they have some sort of reason for John Wick to be kind of famous in the underground, right? To like, for his legend to precede him, right? And like, wouldn't it make sense if there was some sort of underground, you know, crime syndicate that, and then they kind of put in little pieces with the coins and like the continental and everything, like all of that helps lead into, helps build up John Wick as a legendary character before you even see him do anything. So that's, you know, I really like that aspect. And for them to kind of double down on that in this movie is like is a really smart move, especially since I feel like this movie really does a good job of kind of doing laying the groundwork. You know, when they make the second one, they're so much more likely to make a third one, right? So they don't have to worry about like tying up all the loose ends and everything. They don't have to worry about um like... Uh, they can spend a lot more time building a world and not care so much about the story. And this movie does do that. They spend a lot of time, you know, showing you how the different the pieces work, like the markers and stuff. And there's like a there's a big ledger that has like piece like bloody thumb, thumbprints in it. And there's like a high mention of a high table and all that stuff. So and you see the Bowery King and you know, a whole of his like underground stuff, right? So there's a lot more world building in this and a lot less focus on the simplicity like there is in the first one. And um, I feel like they can get away with that because they can almost guarantee they're going to have a third one, which, of course, they did. Um, and I feel like the third one really delivers on it. That's all I'm going to say. Which, um, no, and, and I, that's exactly what I expect because right. of the way that they put this one together, especially at the end. Um, so I, I'm glad to hear you say that. Again, for the listeners, the reason we did this one is because... Uh, I haven't seen John Wick 2. I hadn't seen John Wick 2. And I want to see John Wick 3. And now I can, now that I've seen it. It's definitely a big screen movie. Go see it in the theater. So this like this this movie, the first movie, is an instant classic, I think. John, Keanu Reeves is built to be um, John Wick. And it's really kind of the role of a lifetime, even though he's already like... He's kind of the example of A-list actor, right? He is enough to... Keanu Reeves' name on something is enough for someone to show up to something. And this is no exception to that. This is a movie that I feel like I have very little qualification to talk about because I really feel like it's a love letter to stunt work of the past and just like intricate choreography and stylistic technical stuff. You know, the, the person who directed this movie used to be a stuntman. Um, and I guess he still kind of is. So he's like, he's very, you know... He's very detail-oriented about the stunts and all the technical details and stuff, not so much about the story. And I really think that the movie benefits from that because you can tell there's this level of craft to it um, that just you don't see in a lot of other action movies. Um, but that's uh, kind of lost on general audiences and even someone like me who considers himself a big movie fan. Like, this, that kind of stuff is, is way over my head. So you can't, it's hard for me to tell when something is done really well unless they're really explicitly telling me that it's, they're doing it well. And there's a lot of that, right? There's a lot of subtlety going on in the stunts and the camera work. And, but it just seems so seamless and so effortless that it just flies right over my head. Occasionally, though, you can catch like really good glimpses of it. And I actually just watched a video um, with a, one of the stunt coordinators for um, the second movie. Um, and he talks about all the different things they do for that first scene with the car and all the different little things they have to do, like when they have the, uh, um, Keanu is driving the car, right? And then he opens his door and the guy flips over it and he shows all the different aspects of that, like that guy on the motorcycle was actually a, a dummy that actually like has real human proportions. He weighs 175 pounds. He's five foot 10 and they put him on a motorcycle and they just like pull it behind him and then they just launch him 
you know, over the thing. Oh, it was super epic when he got him to, like, when he put the door out there, dude. Just like, ah, I love it. But everything about that shot is amazing. The, like, the motorcycle is flipping and everything. The guy is flying forward, but the camera stays still on the thing, and it just backs up with the car and everything. It looks so good. And this movie does so much stylistic stuff that it's just incredible. Like, that one car... Uh, jump right where he's going out of the warehouse and he goes up the thing man it looks really great and they said they did that they ruined that car doing that the first time they did it they they crashed right into the side of that little warehouse door and the, but they said they did it so many times and they and everyone became so invested in it that when they finally got it they felt so good about it and it looked amazing i mean even just like as you know someone who doesn't know that much about stunts looking at that you're just like oh that's cool it, oh that's so cool. oh it's so cool <laughs> that's this this kind of stuff makes me think cars are cool like I, yeah. I i look forward to i mean like maybe in the future one day people won't own cars like it won't be a, a normal thing we'll all ride autonomous fleet vehicles and people yeah. look back at this and be like wow look at this guy who used to drive a car look Look at like how crazy it was <laughs> back when humans did this, you know? Right. Like, because it is kind of a superpower that he has to be able to do so much in his car. Um, yeah. And I, I, I think it's, I don't know, like when people buy really dope cars and then have to drive them, you know, 35 miles per hour in the residential areas, I'm like, what a waste of, you know, motor uh, uh, muscle. And he, right. here we get to see what it's truly capable of. Yeah, well, it's for movies, really. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't it doesn't belong anywhere else. <laughs> but like uh, that one scene with that I just mentioned with the the uh, the motorcycle driver flipping over this thing. In the actual movie, I don't think it's Keanu driving the car. But in the first shot, it is like the first time they did that. The first take, it was Keanu. And there, throughout this whole like process, um, like Keanu Reeves is very very hands on. He's very much involved in the stunt work. It is him, you know, flipping and punching dudes, you know, or pretending to shoot them. Um, he's out there, you know, actually doing a lot of the heavy lifting, uh, which really really carries this movie. Um, and so you kind of see little glimpses of just how beautiful and how much work and how much like energy went into every single shot when you see like, oh, you got this A-list actor out there actually doing real stunts and you have these nice wide shots that are framed so nicely. All of it is just so beautiful. Um, and it kind of let, it, it's kind of a hint to at least someone like me who's kind of trying to be keen to those things that there is a level of craft to this that is, you know, that you're not really appreciating. You can't appreciate it unless you spend, you know, 10 years studying martial arts or something. Right. And, and I do want to qualify my con from earlier saying sometimes the like the grappling and the hand fighting was a little bit cringe, but they did avoid something I really hate, which is jump cuts on punches. They look like they had to act yeah. out an actual fight, uh, which is difficult and looks way better than just a series of cuts that you can't tell what the heck is going on anyways. Um, so I, I do appreciate that stylistic choice. Oh, yeah. And I mean, the the action in this movie is just, it's really unique, um, but it's also like, it's so interesting. And watching these movies like back to back and then seeing the third one, you know, earlier this week, like you can you can tell that the way that they they put it together, it's all very consistent. It's very predictable, but it's also very satisfying. And it's like they made, they designed the stunts and everything to be picked apart and studied so that you can, like when you're playing the thing in slow motion or you're watching that scene over and over again, you can see the technique that he's using. And I mean, there's like, there's actually like a whole step to this that you can see. I don't know if you caught on to this, but I wrote it all down. So, so this is, this is John Wick's like, fighting style at least in the most general terms right first 
you, you shoot the guy, right? Go for a body shot, then for a headshot. If you can't do that, then you grapple with him. You grab his arm, throw him over your shoulder onto the ground. You want to get to the guy to the ground. Then you you just pin, you like beat him until he, he just stops moving. And then you look around for anyone else that's approaching. You shoot them first. Then you kill the guy that you're standing on. That's that he does that over and over oh, yeah. and over again. Oh yeah, it's so great. And it's like oh, I could, like once you catch on to that, it's just so satisfying seeing him executed every time. It's like oh, how's he gonna get this guy to the ground? Oh, there he goes, boom! And then he's like punching him in the face. There's also that whole thing he does. He does this over and over again too, where if, if someone has a knife and they're trying to um, to to get him with the knife, he'll eventually get the knife and turn it around to him, and then he'll try to force it into their body. And if he can't force it into them, he'll start hammering at it. Oh yeah, you know, until it gets into him. That's so good. <laughs> <laughs> he does that multiple times. Yeah. Yes. Like in the first one it's and so cool. the second one, he's uh, yeah. He always goes with the so, hammer technique. It's so consistent, and I feel like that's on purpose so that you're in the audience being like, "Oh, I understand what's going on so perfectly. I understand every move of this. You know, I can catch on and, and feel part of it." But it also must be like easier for Keanu, right, to be able to execute kind of a similar move set every time. He can do it with such fluidity and such perfection that it just looks great, no matter how much how many times you see it. Um, and of course, like there's the attention to detail, right? Um, like I feel like attention to detail is something that like real action fans really love. Um, they love knowing what kind of guns that John uses, how much ammo he has left, like explanations for why he doesn't look like Swiss cheese at the end, right? Because he's got that special a suit that has all the like that's bulletproof. Um, so like the director and Keanu go through the extra mile to like make the reloading and restocking scenes really exciting. And these are things that normally when you see it in an action movie, it's cut around, right? Where like he's hiding behind the thing and then you see him reload. He's like, oh, I got to check how many bullets I have, you know, like sometimes you see that, but sometimes that's just for show. And he ends up shooting, you know, 20 guys without reloading. And he doesn't, you know, that clip obviously doesn't have 20 rounds in it. I don't know. <laughs> Dude, I, I'm so glad you brought this up because this is some of my favorite stuff. Like when he was in the, uh, Catacombs after yeah. he murdered uh, Gianna de Santini or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's not right. D'Antonio. D'Antonio, yeah. Um, Santino's sister. He, um, there's so much reloading action in that one. There, where he's like reloading, I don't know, his AR-15, his assault rifle looking gun. Yeah. Um, he like flicks it to the side and you see the clip hit the wall. You know, like he's like reloading with so much force. And when he switches to the shotgun, it's clear that that thing is not easy to reload. So it's yeah. like he's taking, he's being so intentional with his reloads. And then he runs out of... Uh, shotgun shells and then he <laughs> sticks the gun into a guy reloads and then shoots him without moving the gun yeah. it's so cool. <laughs> like puts him into there yeah yeah this that like making the reloading part of the action is such an interesting technical challenge and they pull it off so well and it's like any movie that doesn't do that you know is not trying as hard as this movie is yeah and this movie like executes it so nicely they make the reloading part of the action they never like it's it's careful never to really show like the perspective of the bad guys in a way. It's always kind of what what John Wick is seeing, right? Like what's right in front of him, what's right behind him, what's kind of in his immediate vicinity, right? So instead of cutting to like the guys, like you know, you can see more of the guys coming down. You see there's a bunch of feet coming down, you know, and you're like oh, there's a bunch more coming, and then and then he cuts back and he's right, he's already reloaded. You you linger on him reloading, and that that like adds the tension. You're like oh man, is he gonna get it fast enough? The whole thing with the shotgun shells is cool too, because you actually see in one of the in one of the scenes he's holding a shotgun shell in his hand, um, and then he and when he runs out he reloads it with that that one when he's holding it in his hand, which is like an old archer move. Like if you're a really fast archer, what you'll what you do is 
So let's say, okay, a little bit of archery uh, thing. I took archery in, in college. Oh, perfect. As a, so, I, so I'm an expert, obviously. We're turning into the uh, Joe Rogan podcast over here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I only help, I only hunt elk. So, um, the so what you do is you, you hold the bow with two hands, right? You hold the bow with one hand and you string you pull back the the string with the other hand. Okay. In the in the hand that's holding the bow, you hold arrows in that hand, and instead of having it like in a quiver or something, then when you when you shoot after you let go, you can just grab it right there and then quickly knock it again. This is pretty similar to what he does with that shotgun because he's actually holding some of the shells in his hand so that when he's done. When he's ready to reload, he's already got it there. He doesn't have to reach in his belt or anything. It's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. And that shotgun was Italian, right? So it was kind of like a reference to, hey, I'm in Italy right now. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know. I don't know anything about guns. Well, no, I think they mentioned that when he's getting the guns in the in the previous part. But yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, it is cool. I'm glad that they um expand you know, go to that level of detail. It's really amazing. It really is. And it's appreciated, right? Because those details build the world and they build up John Wick as a character. You know, he's like, you can kind of, one of the things that you can tell is like, he's not that great at hand to hand combat. Like, hand, that's probably his weakest thing. He's always better with a gun or with some sort of tool, you know, with a knife or something. He kind of he tries to avoid hand to hand combat. And when he gets in like hand to hand situations, he always takes longer than when he has some other tool with him. Oh, yeah. And it, doesn't always go well for him when he's in hand-to-hand combat. He regularly takes damage from that. Oh, yeah. Which I've also heard, there's actually not really any good defense for someone with a knife. Like, it's so easy for someone with a knife to, to get you, to tag you. Um, yeah. That the best, like, defense for, like, if, like, a crazy person comes up to you with a knife, like, on the street, your best defense is to run away. Because unless you're amazing, unless you're John Wick, they're probably yeah. going to get you bleeding, um, whether or not you end up disarming them at some point uh so yeah i agree it's probably the weakest part of john wick's game but still elite tier oh yeah it's <laughs> like way better than anything i could ever do <laughs> um well yeah and I, I like how they uh they build up the character of john wick to uh john wick too uh they, they john wick also also right because He's no longer on like a heat of the moment revenge mission like in the first one. Things are more nuanced now. He has to decide if killing everyone is really still his best option. And characters are always asking him about this. They're like, you know, if you haven't stopped by now, you've lost everything, essentially, maybe except for your gold coins and your dog, and you're still going at it. So what does that say about him? You know, uh, he keeps claiming that he's trying to get to this life, this retirement that he's always wanted, but is that even really an option anymore? John Wick is so deep in it uh, that it w- it's starting to seem like that was never really an option. That having this married life was it was all an illusion. Uh, it was always going. It was always doomed to fail because of the life he had before. But that life he had before is what prepares him to survive the life he has now. So uh, I don't know. I like I like how they kind of explore that idea. I don't think we get to any concrete answers. It kind of seems like John Wick is meant for this, but uh, it, it is nice to kind of reflect on that in the midst of the massacres. Right. Well, he does. I mean, he gets out successfully. He seems to be, you know, when his scenes of flashbacks when he with his wife, he definitely seems happy and everything. And the other thing, he definitely is resistant to come back into this world that built him to the person he is. But he doesn't want to be that person anymore. Right. I mean, 
Well, but what's interesting is there's a quote from the first one he, where uh, I guess Winston he says, "You dip as so much as a pinky into this pond, you may as well find something reaches out and drags you back into its depths," which is exactly what happens in the second one, right? As soon as um, and that's as soon as Santino finds out that John was back killing people, he's like, "All right, I'm going to take advantage of this, you know, and use my marker." Um, to get him to do something I want and he said he even says like if you hadn't come back at all then I would never have bothered well I think what's interesting about uh, Winston and the whole uh, John Wick versus or with the Continental is that Winston has his own decisions on when he wants to break the rules you remember in John Wick 1 when he says no business we conducted here even talking about the location of uh, Theon Greyjoy whatever his uh, the, the son of the Italian mobster the guy, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the guy yeah, who yeah, kills um, the dog. Yosef? Yeah, yeah. Yosef. Yeah, um, he says, I can't conduct business here. Go have a drink. And then it's written on the top there. So I think it's interesting that the Continental has its, its ability to break the rules when they want to, kind of. Even though, is, that, is that conducting business? I thought conducting business was like a euphemism for killing, killing or, people. you know, yeah, killing people or or like hitting people, you know? Yes. But physical violence. Well, I don't know, because when he asked him, where is Yosef? He says, like, no business could be. He like kind of counters it by saying, I'm not allowed to say that. Oh, I, I got that as, don't worry about it right now. You're safe here. Okay. Like, you can relax. Like, d- you know, enjoy yourself while you're here. You haven't been here in five years. That's how I interpret fair it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, well, I, anyways, we'll, we'll talk about the Continental here in a minute. But um, one of the things that I, I think they do a good job of somewhat continuing or, or even doubling down on is adding a couple of goons that actually are recognizable to mm. the group of faceless goons that just get massacred by John Wick because as awesome as it is to see John Wick destroy a bunch of people sometimes it's nice to be like oh this guy is actually kind of tough I so I uh, I think it might be in that same interview I saw earlier um, they talk about how they had to do all the choreography with all the stunt guys and they really only had like 10 or 15 different stunt guys, but they needed John Wick to kill a bunch of people. So what they would do is they would have guys come in, get killed, roll out of scene, put on like a, like a, a beard or take off a beard or like change their hair or something and then come back in to be shot again. Wow. Like it was this elaborate dance where people were like coming in and out, constantly being killed. So for that reason, I feel like the, like uh, some of the guys you may see in the first one are probably like repeats that you don't even realize because they're like they're just you don't see their face that well. So yeah, it's interesting that in this one they have some guys that like they can't do that, right? You can't have Ruby Rose play two different people. You have to have her just be Aries. I I know I I but at the same time I like having those people in there because well we kind of had that in the first one. There were a certain, there were like a couple of guys who at the very least seemed more in charge and had like a plan right, when John Wick right, showed right. up and they survived multiple encounters. Um, but in this one, they kind of promote those characters uh, even further so that they're even more recognizable, A, by casting more recognizable actors as these goons. I'm talking, of course, of Cassian and Ares. Uh, right. But it, it, it is nice to have them be actual characters although they end up with the same fate as everyone else which is just getting defeated True. by John but it's all, yeah but it's also like you know it makes sense because there's all these this whole underground network you know that John Wick is a part of like they must have other people that are in the same line of work as John you know he's going to encounter people that are you know at his skill level or at least closer to it than like the other guys who just have guns you know like Perkins in the first one right she's kind of a high level goon 
Right, yeah. And the thing is, one thing that all these goons have in common is that they're cavalier enough to think that they... Is it all played by common? (laughs) 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 Oh my gosh. One trait (laughs) that all these goons share... (laughs) Nice. ...is that they all, for some reason, think they stand a chance against John Wick. And um, I'm surprised that nobody is just like, I don't I don't want to. I, I quit. <laughs> this is John freaking Wick, dude. What am I doing? Um, <sighs> but that wouldn't make them very compelling bad guys. So obviously they got to do that. Um, yeah, they come in there and try to shoot them. I mean, but like, that's the thing is like, you see them, you see them there fighting guys, right? Like, you could come in there and shoot them, you know? You, got, you could come in there and get them somehow. Yeah, people like, land get, hits on him all the time. So, yeah. and which is one of the things that I really love about John Wick is he's not invincible. He's not, um, you know, he's done. He's not winning here because he has some sort of godly power. It's right. it's a combination of things, and it's actually a really amazing quote that kind of summarizes it, which we'll get to, uh, and we'll talk about in a minute. Um, but yes, I feel like the culmin of the culmination of this series. And please don't tell me if I'm right. <laughs> okay. But um, I believe that the, the culmination of the series will be John Wick versus the Continental, uh, because obviously that's what it ends up being at the end of this movie. But that's what it seems to have been building up towards. We learned about how amazing John Wick is in the first one with a subtle, uh, you know, giving us a lot of clues, maybe not even that subtle, that the Continental is this amazing organization that can do basically whatever it wants. You break the rules of the Continental, you are dead. This is a certainty. This is more certain than anything. And uh, I... It's going to be really amazing to see the you know unstoppable force meets the immovable object between yeah, yeah, John yeah. Wick and the Continental, and I I think that this movie does a great job to set up that battle as the third one, like the third film, and it, like the potential there is that the entire criminal underworld might fall apart uh, if John Wick has to destroy the Continental. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Interesting theory. I know. I'm sorry. I know you can't tell me if I'm right or wrong. So let's move forward. But after seeing the first two, that's that's how I'm feeling. Okay. Um. Yeah. So I I also really like the world um of the Continental and all the stuff that they have underneath. You know, the first one they kind of established this underground society that's full of tattooed professionals that follow strict rules and pass around little gold coins. Um. And this one it gets a little bit deeper, right? They have the marker, which is a new uh, element. Um, it's kind of a formal contract between individuals. And there's also mentions of a high table as a sort of council of organized crime lords, right? Santino uh, mentions a couple of the different people that are involved, like the Chinese and like his own family, right? Um, and you kind of explore this world through the eyes of John Wick as, as a well-respected member of this society. Um, and he enjoys many privileges and has many associates. And I feel like the world is, is really intriguing and it gives you like very small hints, which I think is really for the best. It lets your imagination do a lot of the good work um, and it lets your mind kind of wander along um, long after you're leaving the theater. You know, there's like that whole like setting of those women that are all dressed the same, that have glasses, um, that type on typewriters, right? And have like old school, old school computers and stuff and they all text to people on their little slidey phones yeah operators like plugging the yeah i don't in. even know what to describe them as like i guess they're operators um but you know they're all like you can tell that like they're not quite they're not like normal you know women who do this i guess if there's such a thing as a, a room full of women in glasses all dressed the same who are typing on typewriters um but they all have like tattoos and everything which makes them seem a little bit more on edge you know a little bit more part of the underground oh yeah which is kind of cool they're committed to this role you know they, they've oh, got yeah. it tatted in their skin I feel like like if they didn't establish this whole world behind it, then this movie would just be a, a kind of 
Like it would be very similar to that Ashton Kutcher movie, The Killers. Do you remember that movie? I don't. You, yeah, it, it was dumb. But it, it was, <laughs> like to give you kind of a, a brief idea of it, like there was a person who there was a, a hit on out on him, and I think it's his. He was with his wife. I guess I think that's Ashton Kutcher. But it turned like the whole twist of the movie is that it turns out all, there's a ton of assassins out there, and they all act like normal people. Like it turns out that their parents are actually part of this assassin group, and they all kind of like get the same contract and everything. And so it's funny because like you never know who's gonna be part of the part of the team and everything, or who's like actually out to kill them and who's a normal person because it seems like almost everybody is. Um, and this movie kind of does the same thing where it's like, oh, oh, there's so many people out there and you don't know who's who's part of it. But to have this established like world behind it really. Kind kind of adds an element of danger and an element of like oh yeah i can kind of see what's going on i can see what's happening because it's always like it's always amazing right he's walking down the subway and he sees those two guys and he knows they're going to kill him and he shoots them before they can pull their guns out but as soon as you shoot them you're like oh yeah definitely those guys are going to kill him i didn't i couldn't tell from here but he could tell you know like yeah it, it's just nice seeing like someone interact with that world and then come back with it like a with a uh, kind of a response right to say like, oh, anyone can be an assassin, but John Wick knows who the assassins are. Oh yeah, he of course he's part of that community. But it, yeah, it is crazy how many different people were assassins. It, it I, I like how you put this too. It's like a world that you walk out of the theater and you still think about yeah. because apparently homelessness in New York is just a front for like organized crime. <laughs> like, <it's, laughs> like wow, how deep does this go? <laughs> so. Yes. Uh, yeah, no, I do love that. And and this movie really does double down on it, which uh, is definitely a strength. Another thing this movie does is it starts with a 14-minute long intro, which I think is a great choice because you know people are showing up to this because of how much they love the first one, which I know it's a sequel. That's obvious. But they continue with what people love the most about the first one, which yes. is action. It doesn't really matter. Um, even if you haven't seen the first one and this is your first exposure to John Wick, it's showing you exactly what you're you're there for um i actually i i kind of missed that uh the, the guy the russian guy had the same name like he was the mm. brother of the first guy i thought this was just a different russian guy so he's like my nephew killed his dog it stole his car i was like no that happened again <laughs> like <laughs> they they clear that up pretty quickly but i was like dang i can't believe john this is like john wick's life as he just continuously gets his car stolen and his dog murdered uh by russians and uh but no it, it was more, it was more of just kind of a recap of the first one in a sense where it's like hey john wick came for revenge against the russians and it's 14 minutes long and it's amazing it contains awesome action gets you right into it uh which was just a, a great choice like seeing the seeing the titles roll in the 15th minute it's like dang what if a, a what ride a, yeah this yeah is great. What, an, what an intro for this man john wick also there's some amazing just visual images that stuck in my mind after uh like when Santino blows up John Wick's house with a grenade launcher, which most obvious, uh, most obvious uh, threat of all time. When he's like, "You have a nice house, John." Yeah, it's like, shame <laughs> if something happened to it. And then moments later, gets a grenade launcher and blows the whole place up. Like, doesn't even wait to. He just he should have said, "I'm about to blow your house up, dude." Yeah. <laughs> um. But when John is standing with his dog that has no name and they're looking at the burning house and you see this kind of silhouetted image from behind them, oh, amazing. Just so, like, that that uh, frame right there. Yeah, well, what about the, uh, 
uh, when he's at the concert, right? When he's uh, after he kills Gianna, and he shows up on the stage, and he kills a guy, and the cr- and the crowd cheers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, actually, I have a bone to pick with that one because is John Wick totally comfortable killing random people? Like, just if he's sh- like he's in the crowd shooting people, right? Point shooting blank. people, at, yeah. Well, like when he's fighting Cassian, they're shooting each other like across a crowd or across a fountain and stuff. You know, right. they don't care about hitting random people. I don't know how any of that really works. Like, um, I don't know. Like, I'm kind of using evidence from the from the third one here, but it, he's. Part of his like allure is that he can kind of get into any situation, right? He can sneak his way into anything. So like maybe he's just really that good at like being discreet, you know, and you, you can see it because you're paying attention. But if you're not part of this world or you're not paying attention to John Wick, then he's just a ghost and people are just right. dying some other way. Well, sure. But I mean, in the crowd, he's shooting people point blank. You got to think those bullets are going somewhere. Right. You know, <laughs> they're going to go. So I don't know. I don't uh, know. But. But the uh, another amazing kind of image from this, or, or just a visual uh, experience, was when he they're in the museum, and the museum has plenty of awesome places uh, that action take that action happens, especially in that like reflections of the inner self exhibit or whatever. Reflections of the soul. Yes, and welcome to reflections of the soul. I knew you were going to get a kick out of this because you never see the camera once, right? It's a, it's a room full of mirrors. <laughs> yes! Ah, oh, it's so cool. And, like, everyone kind of uses it to their advantage. It's not like a you walk in and suddenly everyone is confused except John Wick. Like, it's, right. it's, it is a, uh, it's just a new battleground, and it's, it just looks so beautiful and, and really adds some variety to the action, which I thought was awesome. I mean, the whole museum, but especially that reflection to the soul. Another thing that I really liked, everybody loves when like an action hero or like a spy has like his g- gear guys, like the guys who outfit him and bring oh, him yeah. his weapons. Gear up montage. And, yes. And, and they did a great job with like the three Italian uh you know vendors i guess the the guy who has the maps the the suit guy and the they call him the sommelier which is the per, a sommelier is like a, a drink expert right That's yeah he's like I, a wine expert yeah wine specifically yeah um and he <laughs> they kind of have like a bit where he's like offering you know, oh, what's for dessert kind of right, thing. Right. I need something bold. Like, that's how you yeah. describe wine. Like, right, I need something right. uh, brash, yeah. <laughs> Which it was great. And and it gives, you know, gun nuts the, an opportunity to marvel over exactly which weapons John Wick will be using to dismember people. Uh, but also, it's just really, it's done in a really stylistic way, kind of uh, James Bond with Q kind of yeah, uh, yeah, experience, yeah. which is, is done really well. Uh, and also helps you really, like, set up john wick for success because after that you're like of course he's doing yeah, well. that's he's perfect his- setup and payoff too you know because like oh how is he gonna use this gun he knows what's going on right like it's so satisfying when like oh he gets double crossed by santino and he like aries shows up and then the, the second army comes to, to fight him but he's prepared for that he already has his uh his assault rifle like in the in the place he needs to put it he has the shotgun hidden away you know all of that stuff he's he's already prepared for this eventuality um and so like it's always such a like you like in a movie you only want to show the plan one time. That's like the the rule I've learned. It's like, right? You either sh- you either explain the plan right now and then um, the plan does not work, or you say here's the plan and then you cut away and then the plan unfolds. Right? Right. Like, John Wick is like, okay, here's the pieces. You know, here are all the pieces I need to uh, to fulfill my plan. And then you see the plan unfold and you see everything go there. And it's just so satisfying because you're like, oh, this is why he did that. I see now. It makes perfect sense. It's, this this movie is should yeah not 
specifically this movie, but John Wick in general, I think, should be, you know, if you're teaching action movie class, this should be uh, oh, yeah. in the should 101. Yeah. Uh, also, something else worth appreciating about John Wick is sometimes it does get quite brutal. Watching John Wick kill people with a pencil and seeing, like, their, like the bits of their brain that are stuck to the wood after is like, Ugh, you know, and kind of hard to watch. And I think that's great. I, they, they push the envelope just far enough where this movie isn't Saw, but it's definitely not your friendly neighborhood action film either. It's, sure. it's well, it There's lots of brutal. blood. I mean, uh, John gets blood all over him. And then, oh, of course, headshots like crazy. Oh, yeah. People's like, yeah, stuff is exploding behind them and everything. Yeah. And I got to respect that about John Wick is the double tap. Oh, and yeah. He doesn't take chances. He's you're getting a bullet through the dome and you're not coming back. Once Body shot, headshot. Body shot, headshot. That's right. And uh, unless it's two shots through the legs for that guy so that you can he can scare the, uh, the 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 Russian boss. Remember at the uh, when in the opening in the intro scene where he's fighting with all the guys in the garage, and then that one guy walks up to him and he shoots him twice, once through each leg. Oh yeah, and he's just, and he's just screaming. That's right. <laughs> yeah. What about that? What about that big old like um, Asian guy at uh, who's the assassin? Oh my god, who has to the shoot twice through the head? Bulletproof sumo man. Yeah. Okay. That's a that's a bit of a stretch that he can survive a bullet to the head just because he's fat. Like, <laughs> Plus 100 you're, health. You're a big fatness. guy. You're a big guy. <laughs> would you die if I shot you in the head? It would be incredibly painful. <laughs> you're a big guy. For you. <laughs> uh, yeah, listen to our episode on The Dark Knight Rises. Um, okay, last thing before we talk about cool Easter eggs is Ares the mute bodyguard. I actually had to look up her name. I didn't know that her name was Ares. I don't remember them saying it. I'm sure they I, do. It was in the, um, oh no, it wasn't because she doesn't say anything. She's mute. So I was going to say it's in the subtitles, but it's definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, she is mute. And I think it's important inclusion in this film is somebody who uses sign language. Yeah. I think sign language is super cool that there's, you can effectively communicate without actually saying anything, especially as someone who spends so much time sitting down and talking. Uh, I think it's really cool that there are people who can totally avoid that and just use their hands and make a something, in, you know, say, say the same stuff. Basically, Can you imagine a podcast for, um, for deaf people? <laughs> just sign language. Uh, that would be amazing. I, uh, I, well, I, I, market. Yeah. <laughs> I've been saying they need to have on, um, they need to change the screens on airplanes so you can have uh, like braille, like something that Ooh. generates braille. So during a, a plane ride, you can like read a book or something on the back of the other. Anyways, I thought it was cool the way that they included hand, um, sign language into this movie in a way that was novel, but also didn't get in the way. Like it didn't feel like it was taxing to hear what Aries had to say because Aries didn't necessarily have all that much to say. But when she did, she did through sign language and it was it was almost, uh, you know, eerie kind of the way that she yeah, communicated, yeah. Uh, especially because it, John, John gets to flex how many languages he knows, dude. <laughs> all the time. You, you thought that he could just speak English and Russian? You're wrong. He can speak Italian. He can speak sign language. This guy has got it all. He also, spe- he also like understands what's it? Uh, Yiddish, I guess, right? Because the the Orthodox Jews that um, where he goes to get his uh, his his bank vault, they're like happy hunting, Mister Vic. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wait till I go see my Jewish friends. Then I'm coming for you with my with my lockbox full of my John Wick stuff. Like. Uh, <laughs> That was great too. I forgot about that. So yeah, 
I uh, I love the inclusion of Ares uh, as the you know she could kick butt. She was mute and she was awesome, and so I thought she was great. There's something that she says at the very end, right? Where she, where she says, um, "Be seeing you." Um, yes. Right. Which is the same thing that the what's his name um, Vigo Direction says at the boss. end. Yeah, at the end of the first one, um, and it's like. I don't know. It, it's there's something to that. I, like it seems very informal. Like why would they say it? But it's almost like a like I'm leaving you for dead, like phrase. You know, it's like yes. I'll be seeing you, um, which is interesting. So I don't know. That's a uh, interesting thing that came up, and I, I wonder if that will continue more. Well, John is so respectful with other professionals. Yeah, you know, I feel like it is a way to die with dignity. To just say it a professional courtesy. <laughs> well, he's he's almost uh, it's almost like admitting defeat. I mean, mm-hmm. the fact that you just got stabbed probably is enough um, of an like of an admittance. Is that well, yeah, well and yeah, enough of a clue that you're gonna die. <laughs> right, exactly. But it is kind of a way that to let them go out without looking stupid. Sure. You know, it's not crumpling up in the car at the end of Dark Knight Rises. Right. It's it's um yeah. It's like saying if you get out of this. Sure, I'll fight you again and kill you a second time. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they, I'm glad they gave her a good out, especially because she got to fight in that cool uh, art exhibit. Okay, let's. Uh, that closes our overall section, and let's move on to cool Easter eggs. This one's pretty obvious, but I think it's just worth set, like referencing. Jimmy the cop returns him among other familiar faces from the first one, rewards you for having seen john wick which is i feel like a pretty easy requisite prerequisite for this movie sure but um it, it it's just instant payoff you know he says literally the exact same lines which is like are you working you know it's like but he says this is a ghastly this time you know right which the fact that the police officer asks him was this a gas leak implies that john's house has exploded before or at least he's had some sort of familiar something similar happened in the past where he just knows what to go with um so well, I'm I just thought- curious about what the implication here is. Like, it's obvious. Like, in the first scene, in the first movie, it's so cool when he shows up, and then like Jimmy's like obviously in on it, right? He's like, oh wow, I just you know he's part of this crew or whatever. But like, is the whole police force like on the payroll of the Continental, or is is it just Jimmy? And like, how far does this go? Like, did Keanu want to, like live in a house that is like monitored by jimmy or is like jimmy his personal police officer you know that like watches out and takes care of him make sure he doesn't get into trouble or like i don't don't know i don't understand how that whole thing works but obviously like the continentals reach goes beyond anything that you can imagine so maybe yeah maybe jimmy is with the continental don't know i don't know maybe they'll tell us in john wick 3 no spoilers please (laughs) Uh, no spoilers for jimmy Okay, so my first uh, cool Easter egg is um, this is kind of like it's a very strange thing, but it's almost immediately forgotten because the action kind of obscures it. But at the very, very beginning, when the they they pan over the city and then they they there's something projected onto one of the sides of the building, and it's like an it's like an old timey movie, right? Yeah, uh, I forgot about this. What was this, the meaning? It is a it's a scene from the Buster Keaton movie. Um, uh, Sherlock Jr. and Buster Keaton is known as like a pioneer in stunt work and I actually just watched that little clip that uh, where they show him on the motorcycle like going through all these different things um, and the stunt work is incredible and it's also really really funny um, and like it even it's like I mean it's a silent movie so there's like music playing in the background and there's like little title cards that show up and are like I didn't think you're gonna make that and stuff it's really funny um, but he's like 
he like, goes over all these like trucks and he's like weaving in and out of traffic and everything and it's like oh this is where we started you know back when stunt work first started and this is what stunt work is like today because immediately in the uh because there's no sound obviously for the for the movie but when he crashes his motorcycle in in the little clip there you can hear the sound of a, of a motorcycle crashing and then of course the motorcycle shows up and then the stunt guy gets on it and then keanu reeves is weaving in and out of traffic uh with his car it's just like oh it's all leading into this you know it's like an homage or it just kind of reference to the originator of great stunt work that so. is nice it was subtle too because when you see it you're like what and then you instantly forget because the action just got started yeah it's cool also, uh, the director of this movie, um, Chad Stilisky, uh, he was the st- Keanu Reeves' stunt double in The Matrix, um, and he did st- all sorts of stunt work for a bunch of different movies. Uh, he's known Keanu for a long time, so um, that was an interesting little tidbit. I wonder if the current, I wonder if the John Wick stunt double will eventually direct something else for an older Keanu Reeves. Oh my gosh! To continue the cycle. <laughs> That'd be awesome. That is cool. Okay, let's move on to our quotes. John Wick is a man of focus. The sheer fucking will. So this is a uh, repeat of how they introduce uh, John Wick in the first movie. Um, I really like how they introduce him in the first one. It's like very, it's very simple, right? It's like, it's only a couple of lines. He basically says, uh, he was once an associate of ours. They called him Baba Yaga. Um, well, John wasn't exactly the boogeyman. He was the one you sent to kill the fucking boogeyman. And he goes through and talks about how, like, all his kind of legendary thing. And it only takes a little while for you to understand just how legendary this guy is in this world and all the things that that means. And so this is kind of a reference back to that. But also it, um... You know, it, it helps re- reiterate, like, oh, in case you forgot, you know, John Wick is a, a famous character in the, in the underground, and he's a man of focus, commitment, and and sheer will. Yes, and, and it's so accurate about him as well. Again, he's not able to accomplish this because he's the best sharpshooter of all time. It's not because he can take the most damage. It's not because he's the tallest or some other reason. It's because right. he's... <laughs> He has focus, commitment, and emphasis on sheer will. There are times where any other man would quit. You know, the pain would be too severe. The uh, you'd think it's not worth it anymore. But John Wick says, "I, I don't care. I, uh-uh. I have the will to accomplish this," uh, which is awesome. Also, the way that they do this, like <laughs> it's like the doubtful subordinate talking to the knowledgeable uh, boss, yeah, yeah. like crime boss guy, and he's like, "You know, John Wick is a man of focus, commitment, and sheer will." Like, I kind of expected the guy to be like, what are you, president of his fan club? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really pitching him well here. Uh, well, the but- other thing that, like, the, the other, like, little <laughs> subtle thing is um, when uh, whenever they mention John Wick for the first time, the, the only response that the other person says is, oh. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's not just a car. It's John Wick's car. Oh. Yeah, and then so he hangs need- up. That's all you need to say. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm not that guy anymore. You're always that guy, John. <laughs> um, so uh, this is like, you don't really see a lot about John's, like, I guess, 
I don't want to say his motivation, um, but kind of his like underlying behavior, right? Like you see him on screen and you see him acting and everything, but like, like you can't really tell if he's doing this because he, like Santino accuses him at the end that he's addicted to it or if he's doing it because he feels like he has to, right? You don't really know exactly why he's doing what he's doing or even why he's in this business in the first place. Um, but he's deter- he seems determined to get out and to not be that person, to be a better person, at least in his own eyes. Um, but, you know, Santino says, oh, you can't, you're, you're not the same person. You can't change. People don't change. Only times change. That's what Winston says in the first one. Um, and I, I think this is also a reference to, the, to Westerns. Because this movie definitely makes a lot of Western references. Like when John Wick first gets out of the car and he steals that thing out of the guy's jacket from the motorcycle, um, there's like a, a kind of Western twang going on. And you see his, his boots, that, like his black boots, kind of implying that he's some sort of, you know, monster. Um, yeah, you don't Western even see monster. that it's John Wick necessarily. Right. Just like you have to kind of connect the dots. Also, how about that holographic Yu-Gi-Oh card that he totally stole from Yeah, that guy? right? V- very valuable. Yes. That guy's never getting that back. No matter how many card packs he opens, <laughs> but I think like like we see this in in, in Unforgiven, right? Uh, which is a, a kind of a classic western, and that in the things that it references anyway, and that like our main guy Clint Eastwood can't ever change. He thinks he can move on and be, have a family and everything, but he always returns back to that life that he tried to leave behind. And John Wick is the same way. He um he tries to change. He tries to be something else, and and in the end, he always returns to where he started. I love how this is all like post-retirement John Wick. Like, can you imagine John Wick in his prime? Well, that's the other thing that he mentions right here, right? Is the impossible task, the night of your impossible task, which I want to talk about more later. Okay. All right. Well, I've got the next quote. This is what you agreed to, Jonathan. Do what the man asks. Be free. Then, if you want to go after him, burn his house down, be my guest. But until then... Rules. Exactly. Rules. Without them, we live with the animals. So this is when Winston is talking to John after John initially rejected the marker, and he's basically trying to figure out a way that he can get out of this, but Winston assures him he cannot. And I just thought it was interesting, their strict adherence to these limited rules in a in an underground world where, you know, there kind of are no rules. You're killing people. You know, yeah. you're you're assassins. Uh, so I I just think it's interesting that they have these these rules they put together. Like, do they feel like what they're doing is right? What are they protecting by having these rules? Yeah. Well, you see, like Gianna, right? She's she. It's kind of it's kind of implied that she steals like everything from that guy, like Mr. Arconi or whatever his name is, right? He steals all of his land and he, like threatens his children. Um, and like, that's, you know, that's legal, right? That's part of the rules. Like you can, you can do that, but if you can't go to the continental and kill someone like that's against the rules. Um, I don't know. Like, it seems like this world, like, it's very important that they have these things. Like, cause if they don't, cause like, like he says right here, right? If you don't, then we live with the animals. Um, like if they don't have some sort of society, then they can't, they can't rely on anything. Right. Like that sommelier, right. He can't, you know, he can't have his niche, right? Because if someone can come, someone can come in there and shoot him and take all his guns, and there'd be no repercussions for that, you know. There has to be some sort of regulation in order for a society like this that is so, you know, that is global to survive. So I think that makes sense, and I feel like it it adds this extra element to it, right? Like you, you, um, 
I don't know, it, it makes the world a little bit deeper and it, it makes you, it also adds this element of professionalism that is very like uh, tonally consistent in John Wick, right? Yes. He always dresses in his suit, um, that he always interacts with everyone very formally. Um, it's all very professional constantly. It also does a lot to build up the power of the Continental, where yeah. uh, people respect these ruthless killers who are capable of so much, all without question respect the power of the Continental. Uh, so if anything, you could argue that these rules exist just because the Continental wants them to, and yeah. everyone else just has to follow the freaking rules. Uh, <sighs> otherwise, they'll die. Uh, I mean, one of my favorite scenes from John Wick 1 is when that assassin woman who tried to kill john in the continental when she just gets executed just because she broke the rules like she's just walking through and they're like hey uh yes you chose death when you did that so goodbye and even (laughs) though all those guys are standing across from each other and none of their bullets go through and kill each other right which Which is annoying (laughs) i kind of expected her to do that be like because she's so good at being an assassin i kind of expected her to like duck Duck. and them to kill each other and she gets out of it but of course doesn't happen because it's the continental and they're freaking unstoppable uh so i I don't know I, i i i'm I just kind of love that uh, structure that they've built using oh, the Continental yeah. to I have like, total rule breakers with people who kill for a living uh, still being constrained and still adhering to some sort of societal standards. Yeah, well, um, like they, they don't kill people without reason, right? John Wick is a hitman, right? He People assign him targets and then he goes out. He doesn't just kill people willy-nilly. And the people that he kills in this movie, you feel like all deserve it or at least trying to kill him or protecting someone that he's trying to kill, right? There's there's a reason behind that at least. It's not just he's, he's not a serial killer. Gianna deserved better. She did. <laughs> I, I makes me think about like my girlfriend works at a hotel and she always tells me all these stories about rude guests and how like they always treat her like so badly. I wonder what the Continental's rude guests are like. You know, it's like constantly pulling guns on Charin and <laughs> you know, demanding that they get a better room and stuff. My room still has blood in it. I can't believe this. <laughs> Uh, yeah i wonder who i wonder who does like the yeah the minimal tasks at the continent right like the housekeeping and stuff yeah Ooh, man there's some killers in here today (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay uh my next quote i failed to recall the last time you were in rome and here i'd heard you had retired i had then humor me with uh, but one question. Sei qui per il Santo Padre? No. I thought this was a like hilarious, like out of left field inclusion. I mean, it kind of makes sense, but at the same time, like this guy like comes up to John, he's like, "All right, I know that I know who you are. You're obviously John Wick, um, and you're." retired also so um uh like dabs the sweat on his forehead with a, sweating. he's like uh, um are you here to kill the pope and he's like uh, and john wick is totally caught by surprise like um no <laughs> oh thank god okay okay well enjoy your stay in rome i guess like what is the pope up to that john wick might be out to kill him dude? well that's the thing is like if you wanted to kill the pope there's only one person 
that could that could possibly pull it off. You know, like if you think of the Pope, you think about his Pope mobile and his like glass case thing. You know, People, like there have been attempts in the Pope's life before, but not not ones that have really been successful without the guy getting away. Or well, certainly not with the guy getting away. If you're gonna assassin, you're gonna assassinate the Pope. There's only one man for the job, and that's John Wick. Nice. I do like that. And I mean, if not John Wick, definitely someone staying at the Continental. So yeah, maybe these assassins, uh, the Pope might just be a target every once in a while. Sure. But- well, there's also like a, a weird, like, like Christian, like kind of motif in the background here too. You can see it on John's tattoos, right? And, yes. Um, yes. Like there, there's more of that in the third one, but it's, it's kind of this, there is kind of a, um, or, or even Santino, he calls him, he says he's Old Testament, right? There is like, yeah. a, like a, a kind of a Christian theme in the background or like a very devout theme at least. So it is right. an interesting like element there. Well, and I just thought it was funny because it's like, well, what is the Pope up to that someone yeah, might be trying to kill, to kill him? him. <laughs> uh, but it does make perfect sense. Obviously, Italy is home of the Catholic Church, like it... Right. Uh, it, it all it all does come together but hmm hmm you know what's the how, what's also the, how cool are the subtitles in this movie the, oh they're great uh and, and it's one thing that i mean youtube does well i don't know uh if amazon did it as well also but if you already have closed caption on they don't put both if the yeah. if the words yeah, yeah, that yeah. they're saying appear on the screen that's all you need you don't need to also have the subtitles you know who's notoriously bad at this hbo if you stream oh, HBO really? and you have closed captioning on, there are so many important lines that were said in uh, Targaryen in Game of Thrones that I totally missed because it would have it in Targaryen over the words that are being said in Targaryen. <laughs> so you're just like, oh, good. Now I really no, don't I know what any said. of this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, I just thought that was a funny little line. Okay, next quote. Why? Because I lived my life my way. And I'll die my way. Couple reasons I want to bring this up. Uh, first reason, because I think it's really it's another amazing shot in this film to have Gianna spread herself out like a uh, almost like a crucifix and to have her blood flow down her body almost it it almost seems like a cape or maybe that she has wings of some sort it just it seems very angelic and it's really in this room where she has this beautiful pool in the middle it's very it's all very the aesthetic there is really amazing and i think worth appreciating um also it it reinforces the fact that when john wick comes to kill you you're dead you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) she she doesn't try yeah she's like all right i'm dead yeah well but she also says that to him right she says like um, like when I picture death, I pictured you in a way, right? Like mm-hmm. death's emissary is what she calls him. Yeah. And it's exactly what he is. So just, it's a really cool scene in the film, but also dude, it's so hard to freaking watch. Ugh, I'm cringing oh, yeah, at just the her, thought yeah. of her cutting herself. I was like, cause she, she gets naked and then takes out this knife. And I was like, yes, John Wick versus naked knife woman. This is going to be <laughs> epic. <laughs> and then instead she slices down her arms and you watch the blood ooze out oh, dude, gross. i was like having such a hard time with the scene but at the same time it was really beautiful and awesome and it makes makes me wish that gianna had uh had not been killed you know john and uh gianna seem like they used to be friends and yeah, she deserved yeah. better that's but like i don't know i, I keep returning to this like idea that like if you're if you're at a certain level in the continental like 
the only way you're going to die besides like old age is John Wick. You should, <laughs> like, you know, like he's the one who's going to kill you because he's the only one that can possibly get to you. Yeah. And what an honor, honestly, uh, <laughs> <laughs> to get domed by uh, John Wick. Absolutely. Okay. Next quote. is in your aorta. You pull it out, you will bleed, and you will die. This is the end of the line. Just another opportunity to, to reflect on how awesome uh, John Wick's quotes are. Um, I know that there are times where it can be a little bit cringe, uh, the way that he delivers his lines, and sometimes they're a little bit cheesy. But for the most part, I, I think we all really enjoy when John Wick gets to deliver a cool line. Oh, um, yeah. Well, he's like, he doesn't talk that much, right? That was one of the things that, that was like pitched to him when the first movie was pitched to him. It was like, your character is going to have very little dialogue. And he was like, awesome. I love that. Yeah, so. it, actually, this is what he said. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but he... Um, but this was this scene is is really cool because him, Cassian and Wick have already been established as um, not only people who are in the same line of work but have similar motivations uh, because it's clear that Cassian he calls her he calls Gianna his ward which right. I don't really know if that really implies a romantic interest but I was, there was, certainly felt I definitely like there got was. there was yeah yeah the first time I watched it I was like they're oh so they're sleeping together and then in this one I wasn't so sure right like it, it wasn't quite as explicit for some reason but no it's definitely implied that like they're like together right and he it, calls it, her he calls her his ward because that's like if you're a bodyguard that's what you call the person oh, protecting. that's the title yes okay um well anyways they they've already established that they're very similar in their motivations and similar in their skill level so for john wick to take cassian out with a stab to the heart that doesn't kill him but would kill him if he continued the fight um, was such an awesome way to, to 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 end this. And it's not as clear that the battle is over. I know John Wick clearly says that, you know, if you, you bleed out, you'll die. But he's not dead, right? Yeah. So they add this little, the well-timed subway announcement, the PA announcement that's like, this is the end of the line. Just, it's so perfectly timed. It's so creative. Oh, it's, so, it's so cool, yeah. And I think that's like another element of this movie that's so cool is seeing John Wick interact with the world around him you yes know, there's a, there's times when like well when he's fighting in the uh, in the club in the first one or in the, at the at the show um the, the concert in the second one right the music is like not quite timed up with the bullets but it's like you can it's swelling with the action and everything and when he's hiding and reloading it gets a little quieter and then when he gets up he's you know it, it blasts back in so like he's kind of He's part of this world. He's blending into this world, and he uses elements of the world to help him achieve what he wants to achieve. And this is kind of a, a more explicit example of that. It's pretty awesome. It is, and uh, <laughs> it's it's also just this whole scene is great. When they got into the subway and he was fighting with Cassian, I was like, oh my gosh! Like I didn't even realize I was literally watching uh, freaking Matrix. Oh my gosh! Yeah, when he gets to the subway thing, yes. yeah, yeah. I and mean, I was afraid that it would be really similar, like a punch out. You know, they run out of bullets, and the way that he ends up killing him is getting hit by the subway. Right? That right. seemed like it was so clear cut and obvious. But instead, to have them get onto a train and fight in there was taking it in a different direction, and it ended up being amazing. Especially because when they get to the end of the line, everyone on the train runs. Like, <laughs> if you notice in the background when they first start fighting, and the train is like mostly empty because when they both get on, there's too many people. But as people yeah. get off, they eventually. Get 
get close together and start fighting. But when they first start fighting, there are people that stand up like they're going to intervene and try to break up this subway fight. <laughs> and then they realize how much business these guys mean. And then they sit back down. <laughs> they're like, okay, not getting involved in this. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. <laughs> and uh, and then when the train actually opens up, they all sprint off, which is uh, which is great. You know, the realism there. Um so yeah. I, I loved the scene. I loved the way that Cassian went out. Uh, Common did better than I expected from him. I was so surprised he didn't mention Microsoft AI even a single time in this I movie. I know. So <laughs> the power of the world is at your fingertips. And yeah. All you have to like, it's just what you're gonna do with it. I mean, <laughs> those words really <laughs> stick with you. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, like, there's also elements of a western in this too, right? When they're across the. Uh, the fountain from each other or even when they're walking to the subway together they're kind of um uh elements of like standoffs right where they're waiting for the other one to move so that the other one can can shoot at him um and then you know when they're actually in the subway and fight hand to hand it is very much like a standoff in a way or a shootout so um yeah i, I really like that element too all right next quote jonathan just walk away yeah jonathan what have you done? Finished it. So this this line actually, I, I just want to talk about it briefly because it's, I think it's interesting. When John Wick shoots uh, D'Antonio, Santino <laughs> D'Antonio, in the Continental, it's uh, he says that he he finished it, but he really didn't finish anything. If anything, he's just getting started because now he's got a brand new enemy that used to be his greatest ally, which is the Continental. So that was an odd choice of words from John Wick because he, of all people, should know exactly what he's done. Yeah, but you can tell that he just gets overcome with emotion sometimes, you know? I mean, his whole... I mean, the whole first movie is basically just kind of an emotional rampage he goes on, right? And he doesn't, and when Winston even tries to ask him, like, oh, is this really what you want? Are you sure this is what you want to do? He doesn't, st- he doesn't never hesitates, you know? He just goes and, and kills people because that's going to that's gonna make him feel better or at least gives him some semblance of justice, I suppose. And in this one too, right? Like, D'Antonio, Dan- uh, whatever his name is, uh, is like, is goading him, right? He's He's mocking him and he's like, giving him the impression that he could stay there forever and run his empire from inside the continental and never have to leave. And, um, and John won't have it. He's just like, I need, I need this to be over. I need this to be done. And he doesn't think about the consequences. He just acts. And depending on what happens in the third one, may have been a good call. If he can take the heat from the continental, if anyone Mm. can literally, that's true. If anyone can. Yeah. All right. My next quote. How was he? He was a good dog. I have enjoyed his company. This is a quote from Charon uh, after he gives the uh, the dog with no name back to John Wick. Um, and he was such a good dog. He was a good dog. This is such a great line. You know, like, <laughs> like how you describe a dog. He was a good dog. Um, yes. And I enjoyed his company. Like, uh, it's just like, oh, it's just like a nice little wholesome ending for that. I really like that part. I like that, too. And I'm I love it's one of the things that this movie does to supplement its awesomeness is the how highly they hold dogs. Like they, oh, yeah. They're like, dogs are amazing. Dogs are always good, <laughs> and you shouldn't kill them. And, uh, and I think everyone, or most people, can agree with that. I think, I think we can all agree with that. Yeah. That's a message I can get behind. Okay, that's going to wrap up our quotes section. And I think 
You know what time it is, Joey. It is time for us to go a little deeper. Okay, and I'll get us started here. Uh, one of the things I noticed about this movie is there are a few themes that seem to always be running through this film, and that's, well, here's a few of those threads. Uh, cars, guns, fighting, drinking, and like having a dead love interest. And uh, that's all those things are definitely within John Wick's personality, but they also extend to some of the other characters, especially Cassian. Cassian is a great example of this. Uh, so my question is, does this movie bite off of the apple of Fast and Furious? Does this movie kind of copy some of the things that are going for Fast and Furious, especially cars, guns, and fighting? <laughs> The, the, those things aren't unique to anything, though. Like that's that's a trope of action in general, mm-hmm. you know. And I mean, this this movie. What makes this movie interesting to me is that it it had it's like has all the elements of a traditional action movie. You know, there's nothing about it necessarily that is like that unique from a premise standpoint, except for maybe the dog dying. It's when you actually get into it and see it, and you see the technical expertise, having Keanu Reeves, of course, play the lead and all of that, uh, the lead. Um, and all of that like makes elevates that movie to its height as something great and, a, and an instant classic in my mind. But kind of, the cars, the cars, guns, and fighting are just the the words in the language that you use to tell a story about action. Well, I, well okay, so you say it was it's, it does enough to separate itself from. Uh... Because I feel like Fast and Furious, because they're huge success. A lot of times when you see just outlandish action with cars guns and fighting and like having some sort of emotional reason behind that too i feel like sure well that's not that's not unique to fast and furious either you know that's i mean um the rock with nicholas cage that movie has cars guns and fighting uh, you know, that's a traditional action movie um michael bay film that's a good one mm-hmm. um the uh, what was I thinking? Oh, the, like the emotional impact and everything. Like again, that's like what makes a movie a movie. Like that's that's the part of that that's why you go to see it, and that's why you stay. And that's why you stay mm-hmm. is because of the emotions that you you feel from watching it. Maybe just that emotion is oh that's super cool, but it also could be like oh I feel for this character and I want him to succeed. Um, but it's also like Keanu Reeves and John Wick in general. It's the details and the execution of it that make it amazing. And it's also, like you said earlier, so focused on its simplicity. The second one expands that world, but it does it so carefully. Every little element is just like, is is only explored a little bit, you know? And there is a lot of time spent on that, but it's done in a way that helps you as the audience appreciate it and like allows you to make connections yourself. Fast and Furious is all about, especially now, it's all about these superheroes punching each other into concrete walls um, and, and, and jumping their cars over the moon so that they can land on other cars. Like, there, there's nothing real or simple about any of those movies. Fair enough. I, uh, I think you've distinguished the two well. No disrespect to Fast and Furious. It's, no, not it's, at it's all. Its I'm thing. a big fan of those two. Yes, but, uh, but yeah, John, despite having similar subject matter, I think you've convinced me John Wick does plenty to distinguish itself. Okay, so one of the things I want to talk about is, and maybe this is obvious to everyone else, but for me, it took me watching these movies to kind of really understand what was going on here. Um, I like, I think John Wick holds a similar role in society to Keanu Reeves in our in our world. Oh my God! Like he is a he is a well known, well respected 
and like all like in every like form of the word a celebrity in this world so like, more so than he knows a lot of people when i first watched it uh, i was like oh like he it's all these people that he used to know that like are calling him by his name because they all used to know him and everything i don't think that's right i think he's i think he's a celebrity in this world and everyone recognizes him and they just say things to him because that's what you do to celebrities that makes sense yeah like like for some reason i, I didn't make that connection till later and here's my other theory too when um uh, in the first movie they talk about how he has to he's given an impossible task and when he does that the what's the exact quote hold on so i made a deal with him i gave him an impossible task a job no one could have ever pulled off the bodies he buried that day laid the foundation of what we are now which i think in the in that context i was thinking oh that's just about vigo and his um corporation but maybe it's about the continental in general and maybe the entire continental and its society was only built because of the things that john wick has done and that's why all these people are so loving and appreciative of him it's because it's it's built on the work that john wick put forward he ne didn't necessarily have to have the vision of a world that was built like this but he was the one that executed it and made it possible Okay, and you're saying that this also carries into real life with what Keanu Reeves has done? Not exactly. I, I just mean that, like, like that's why he's such a renowned and special character. John Wick is so well-renowned and special in the continental universe, mm -hmm. I would say. More, like, I, I'm, I'm just equating their fame is what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's that, definitely true. It, it's... Uh, it's so easy to be convinced that John Wick is this mythical like legend because yeah. we already respect Keanu Reeves in a similar way. I mean, he was Neo, the chosen one, you know? Right. Um, and, and that's not it. I mean, he's also Johnny Utah, as we know very well on this podcast. So it's, yeah, I think that they do pair so well together. Like the casting choice is so obvious. You almost can't have John Wick without Keanu Reeves. Yeah, and that's what I want to talk about next is like the the fighting style and everything. I just watched this like short little clip where they were doing interviews with the stunt coordinators and stuff, and they were like all the people were like, "I have never worked with a movie star that is so dedicated to training and preparation." Like he spent months, um, like training on how to do martial arts and how to do all these different things, um, and he like really, really like cared and he was the first person there in the morning and the last person to leave at night like he was putting in extra hours every time they they said like if you had him for four hours he would be there for six if you had him for two hours he'd be there for four he was he was there um he was putting in all these extra work all this extra work to make sure it was great um and he's just that kind of dedicated um and it really kind of i guess drove the dedication for everyone else who worked on it too and also like um the geography the keanuography i would say which is what you call um, choreography when Keanu's doing it. <laughs> <laughs> um, they said that like they watched him training and they like they told him how to do a bunch of basic things in like a bunch of different fighting styles. Mostly it's in um, judo and brazilian. Bru excuse me, I can never say this word. Brazilian. That's the one. Um, <laughs> Brazilian, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. That's the one. Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Like um, that whole throwing move he does is like a is a well documented like move um, in karate and in other things too. Um, they watched him doing these things and then they they mapped the choreography around that and they said, oh, he here's his strengths. 
here's what he's really good at, and this is what we're gonna display on the um, like in the movie. Instead of saying, okay, here's a specific move. Now learn this move over and over again. They were like, oh, Keanu is really good at this, this, and this. Now how do we incorporate that into the the Keanuography and make it all um, fit together? So yeah, like Keanu helped build John Wick into the character that you see today. Not just because he plays him and because he says the lines and everything, but the very movements he makes is based on Keanu Reeves' own strengths. So it is very much like a, I don't know, a a heightened hitman version of real life <laughs> Keanu Reeves. <laughs> tailor made character is tailor made, just like his uh, just like his suits. Very nice. That's awesome. And that's not the first time I've heard about Keanu Reeves' uh, commitment to his art. I mean, the Matrix oh, yeah. behind the scenes also, uh, they comment on his ability to just put it all into the movie and really become that character. And, and in Point Break, right? Like one of the things we brought up was that he learned to surf after being in that movie, right? He learned to surf for the movie and then yes. he fell in love with it and he kept doing it for almost his whole entire life. Yeah. And he had really good play action ball handling when he was playing football on the on the beach. This man can do it all. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, man. I do, I do right. like that a lot. Are you ready to move on to our ratings? Let's do it. Uh, I want to go first with my rating. Okay. So for John Wick Chapter 2, I give it this rating. You ready? Yes. What was that? That was me doing uh, sign language saying, cool movie, great job. <laughs> Uh, sorry for our listeners is, i know that's hard to interpret <laughs> yeah a little, a little hard to interpret but it was total sign language uh oh uh, so wait wait is the is the like is the like oh i totally thing? made up everything that i just oh did, did you really <laughs> come on yes. i thought i thought yeah i think movie is actually like the uh is like, the, like this the real yeah because yeah. <laughs> you did the uh like the closing of like the action what is that called the breaker thing whatever yeah the the thing that they say action and they clap yeah together. they clap it together yeah that's what you just did so that's right okay all right. Yeah, cool movie, great job in sign language. That's my rating. Okay, good, good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> my rating is 128 brutal kills. Nice. Are you referencing something that we might be able to share with our audience? Yes, that's how many people he killed in the, audi- in the, in the movie. In the and, audience, too. In the audience. <laughs> well, because there is an infographic you sent to me. Yes. Um, that has so all these kills. link in the in the description um that shows all the different ways he killed people in each scene uh the guns the locations on their bodies he killed them how many bullets he used apparently in this movie he had an 80 percent um, accuracy rating with his bullets yeah 200 Pretty amazing 242 hits 60 misses that is what i call a good day at laser tag and uh <laughs> 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 and uh, it's pretty cool. So it'll be in the description. Also, we'll tweet it out. Um, so definitely check that out. Joey, I think that wraps up our talk on John Wick 2. What are we going to talk about next? Next, we're going to do Aladdin, both the old and the new. Yes. Obviously, if you don't know, Will Smith is uh, the genie now, and there's a new Aladdin movie. Hashtag uh, Smith is my only genie. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that is not a stance real. I'm willing to take, but we'll, we will talk about that because uh, we're going to be comparing the new and the old uh, on the next episode of Affable Chat, so look forward to that. But I think that's going to wrap things up for this episode. So for Affable Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Affable Chat. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. We would really appreciate it. 
If you have a question, comment, or want to request something for us to talk about, you can reach us at our Twitter account, at AffableChat, or our email, affablechat at gmail.com. Once again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.